Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Happy New Year! Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. You're listening to The Dork Forest. It is available on all of the websites, and including iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube. And if you go to dorkforest.com or jackiecation.com, you'll find links to all of it. And then I have another podcast with Lori Kilmartin just about stand-up comedy. But this is The Dork Forest, and it's January 2020, so Happy New Year, and feel free to start donating again. That's right. Donations went off last year, and I don't blame you, but uh, think of me. And PayPal will let you do it monthly if you want, but I understand if you don't want, because monthly is um, is its own commitment. But the people who do do it monthly, ha I said do-do. Uh, I totally appreciate that. But there is also going to be new merch. I'm phasing out one of the uh, Dork Forest t-shirts. I think it's the black one. It might be the green one. The green one's almost completely out of stock, so I think it might be the Dork Forest one itself. But uh, feel free to try and order stuff so that I can get those two new shirts on the website, because right now the merch page is a bit crowded, shall we say. By the way, my website is done by Vilmos. You know that. The song that was just sang was composed by Mike Rickberg. He'll sing his version of the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. And Patrick Brady is going to fix this audio and has been doing it for low these many years. And I genuinely appreciate that about him uh, so much. The new shirts are going to be a shirt with a bunch of my dad's sayings and a drawing of his face uh, on uh, that Jenny Fine did. And Jenny Fine, of course, was the uh, artist who did the Meat Shield t-shirt. And she also did the art for the Horcrux album and DVD. You can get all of uh, my old merch still at JackieCation.com. And the new merch, feel free to email me, Jackie at JackieCation.com. And we'll figure it out, is what I'm saying. Um, I'm going to record a new album in 2020, but I don't know where or when. Uh, feel free to come and watch me work on the new hour at JackieCation.com. has all of my tour dates and at JackieCation on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. There's also a Dork Forest Ranger page that you can get into. Donations, PayPal, Venmo, do whatever you need to do. But I'm very appreciative of everybody's support over the last 13 years. Let's get into some dorkdoms, shall we? Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm back in my living room, and I am with you. We haven't been on the show since uh, the phoning days, yes. so it's probably been 11 or 12 years. Wow. Uh, Sean Conroy, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Sean Conroy. Spelled seen. I read seen, yes. Seen Conroy. When I was a little girl, I read a, a dog book, and the dog's name was Sean, and I said seen. Which is what every teacher called me for the first seven or eight years of school, because there were there was... Sean was not a common name at that time. Right. So I would start school and they would go, Seen Conroy, and I would go, It's Sean. It's and of course, the other thing is, Sean Conroy is so close to Sean, Sean Connery, Connery. Yes. And people would. You, you know, are a weapon. You are. They would a, mispronounce a it all the time. Weapon. I actually said to my mom once, I said, Why did you name me something so close to Sean this movie star? Yeah. And she said, we never thought he would be that famous. <laughs> and I looked it up on Google. Yeah. And when I was born, he was doing his sixth James Bond movie. I mean, arguably the biggest <laughs> franchise movie star in the world at that time. So, <laughs> Mom. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, so Irish descent. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for playing. A little Scottish, little, but, oh, but okay. mostly Irish. Sure, sure. Sean Con, it's at Sean, S E A N Conroy, C O N R O Y, right. on the Instagram and, and Twitter. Twitter. Yes. That's great. And uh, you are literally, I have said this more than once, the only good improv I've ever seen. <laughs> it is not okay uh, because I just means I need to see more improv because uh -huh. it doesn't mean that you are not wonderful. It means that I haven't seen enough improv. Yes. Because you're There dorkdom, are other good people. Right. It turns out your dorkdom is improv. Yes. That's what we're going to talk about. I took a UCB class uh, on improv. I didn't know that. Yeah. I took I, the first level. I the first I might have taken the second level as well. Recently? Uh, probably in the last six years. Holy shit. And just because I... You know, stand-up is so pissy about improv. And it's gotten a little better, but yes. yes, for a long time, it was like, 
fuck those guys. Fuck those guys who support each other. Yeah, and yeah. we got to watch them think on stage. I fly solo, baby. <laughs> right. There was a lot of judgment. And I uh, was... Not really a huge. Uh, by part the way, of it. judgment goes both ways because I would be teaching classes fifteen or twenty years ago, yeah. and somebody would come in, and I would be like, "Oh, that guy's a stand-up." <laughs> you know, like. Right, right. It was there was this weird, yeah. but it was I. I don't know if that was in reaction to how much vitriol the improv uh-huh. because I don't even know when improv started. Do you know when improv started? I feel like <laughs> I don't know, okay. but I want to say it was in. I want to say it was in the fifties. The could hippie fifties totally, and sixties. I could be totally wrong with that, but I feel like I feel like there were things in the works around that time. It okay. Was, it was supposed to be. It, it. It. I feel like it started mostly in Chicago. It was supposed to be theater for the people that addressed topics that the people were interested in, not the. Oh, Not the highfalutin playwright bullshit. Oh, it was you know? supposed to be more. So it wasn't created. It was as... for the hoi polloi. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't created as a, a learning tool. I there might be some of that too. I mean, I know Viola Spolin came up with all these games. Who is that? She, she was. was one she's of the, sort of the 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 grand the gr- dame of of, of improv. Viola Spolin, which is a great name. Yes, How do you yes. spell Spolin? S P O. L I N. Okay. And Why I not? believe, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I know her, her, her son, whose name I don't remember, maybe Paul Sills, uh, also became a big influential figure and taught a bunch of people. Right. Um, you know, the, the person who I've heard the most about because I'm affiliated with UCB. Right. Is Del Close? Oh yeah, who, I've heard that name. Who was involved with all of that in Chicago at the time as well? So it kind of it feels super Chicago based. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then it sort of branched out to St. Louis and to uh, uh, Paris, France. No, I don't know. Um, uh, probably New York, Los Angeles. I don't know that there was ever a big improv scene in New York. Like, I was in a group in New York starting in the early 90s that had come from Chicago okay. to New York in the early 80s. Oh, okay. Uh, and is, the- is Second City improv? Yes. Okay. Or at least they started as an improv company. And right, now, and now it's sketch, their right? Their big show is a sketch show, yes. And sketches are pre-written just for the American public or anybody listening who might not know. But they're, uh, they're... Sketch is what they do on Saturday Night Live. They write right. it ahead of time. They either memorize their lines or as they do on SNL, they write them on a pasteboard and hold them up in front of their faces and read them that way. Oh, d- during the show, they, they sure. don't have to memorize the script? I mean, if you watch SNL, you can see everybody reading their lines. You know, I've never watched SNL. I've seen only clips. Really? Yeah. uh, It's sketch comedy or skits, as no one should ever call them. Yeah. Uh, That is a a thing, like where somebody goes, oh, so you do skits, and you're just like, a shudder runs down my spine. Right, for some reason, it is a it is a visceral reaction yeah. to the word skit. It just feels like something you would do in the Cub Scouts, you know? Right, right. It's a R.I.P. A- I guess now that they've declared <laughs> that the Boy Scouts have declared bankruptcy. Oh no, they're good. They'll be back. And uh, <laughs> sure, the Catholic Church hasn't gone away. Exactly. None of the. It's uh, it's such a. Um, you're just, you would think that adult men would care more about little boys than they do, <laughs> but they don't, it turns out. Except in the wrong way. Exactly. You're just like, we lived through it. Yeah. Just fucking suck it up. Yeah. Walk it off. Anyway, but the, um, so there's Viola Spolin and Del Close. Del Close. Are there so other Del famous? Close yeah. in what, Chicago what uh, is the guy who was responsible for starting Improv Olympic which then hmm. is where the people who founded UCB came from. Oh, okay. And the people who founded UCB were Chicago improvers? All Chicago people, yeah. Okay. And um, who founded UCB? Matt so Besser. So UCB was Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, Matt Walsh, and Amy Poehler. Okay. So, and Tina Fey came out of Second City. Right. Okay. So Matt and Matt and Ian and Amy were... I don't know if all of them did Second City. I think all. I think three of the four of them maybe did Second City. Right. There were a bunch of different improv companies in okay. Chicago, and there was some overlap. Right. Okay. But they so the four of them got together, 
and started doing sketch together. Yeah. And decided that they needed to go make it big in a first city, not in the second city. So either uh-huh. they had to decide to go to New York or Los Angeles. So they moved to New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They started performing in New York, doing sketch. They also started doing their show, Ask Cat, which was their improv show. Oh, and they invented that. Because Ascat is, a, I have done that. That's the one where you tell a story right. and then people, the I- improvers uh, perform improv from that story. The improvers do skits off that story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be saying the wrong words. But they, um, yeah. The, so that's. The improvisers perform. The improvisers yes, perform. Yes. And uh, so, yeah. Okay. So that's. Uh, that's what I saw. Here's what happened. Okay. I, t- I took a UCB class. Right. And part of that class was you had to go see a lot of shows. Oh, yeah. They always want you to go see shows. a couple shows. Yeah. And so I ended up watching you and Matt Besser do long-form improv. Right. And um, it was fascinating to me because I had, back in the 80s when I first started doing stand-up. Right. So this is 84. We would... There were a bunch of comics that came through for the, in this comedy club that I started that in Madison, Wisconsin, owned by Bill Kinnison, Sam Kinnison's brother. Okay. Um, we would end the sh- They wanted uh, all the comics who came from L.A. wanted to end every show with, an, with improv. But it was not long form. It was dumb. It was short it, form. It was short form. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was genuinely a case. Uh, relatively painful it was freeze tag and um this thing called 185 185 something walked into a bar right yes right and so it was literally an excuse for puns cleverness puns who's the smartest yeah it was a riff contest is more than anything and um and it was usually filthy and um and so that was my introduction to improv and then so when i took this class Thirty years later, right at the at, and it was long form. One of the things that the the teacher tried to impress upon us that I didn't really get until I saw you and Matt Besser is that you have to be comfortable on stage so that you're you show your own personality. Mm-hmm. There was no time when I thought you two had been doing it for so long. I felt like that I felt the safest I've ever felt in an <laughs> improvisation. It is gut-wrenching when you don't feel safe in an improv show. It's like, oh my God. This- Which I think is what to some people is the attraction. Okay. Is, it's the same reason people go and watch uh, diving hate. competitions oh, because God. somebody might hit their head. Right, right. Know? Or race car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it- there might be a crash. <laughs> right. But I don't... Uh, but you guys... So it was this long-form thing and the suggestion would come uh, for for a topic, and then there would be a beat where one or the other of you would take a moment, and you would you could, I could see you thinking, and you're like okay, and you would do a thing that I do in stand up, which is I take things from my life, mm-hmm. and then you created a, a scene from something in your life. At no time did I feel like you were gonna be like exceptionally crass just for the shock jock value right or um racist or horrible <laughs> and it was no i keep my racism off stage is that oh you yeah, like keep that off yeah. off off key mm-hmm. and uh so well well played <laughs> and it was i mean it was just because sometimes in the class that i took it was it was like early stand-up where people are just throwing things at the wall they're frantic hoping, they're frantic yeah that and that friend because if I don't get the laugh now, I might not ever get a laugh. I might never get a laugh again. You know, right, right. And that feels <clears throat> like a learned skill to learn to slow down. Well, here's another thing you just said, which I really think is interesting. So I did short form for years, okay, before I ever did long form, and just. So people know what short form is. Please. Short form is what you would see on whose line is it anyway, where throughout the show, you constantly take suggestions from the audience and you have to use those suggestions in oh, they your stack? scene. No, in other words, we'll start a scene and yep. I'll say, okay, I need a profession and I need a, a country of origin and I need a... A thing two people might argue about. Right. And then I do a scene <clears throat> where I am a 
a French pilot arguing with someone about <laughs> interest rates. Right, okay. You know, so uh, I've gotten all three of those suggestions from the audience, and I am trying to fulfill those suggestions. Right. And I did that for years. I did it with a group in New York. I traveled all over the country performing with them. And th- is that kind of... It- so that was your entry level to yes, improv. That was how I form. started. Yes. Okay. Then I went, I heard about this group, the Upright Citizens Brigade. I went to see them do their sketch show. I yes. went to see them do their, their skits. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I liked it. I, it didn't blow my mind. I was like, oh, you know, they're funny. They're funny. Yeah. I've seen other funny things. This right. was also a this funny is one, thing. This is another funny thing. And then I went to see their improv show, and because I had been doing improv for eight years up to that point, and mm-hmm. I knew what improv was, or at least I thought I did, mm-hmm. when I went to see Cat, it was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> you can do that? That's right. what I want to do. Yeah. You know? Um I mean, I don't know what a good analogy is. I always like to use basketball analogies, but it's like, imagine if you were seven feet tall and you never, and you played basketball your whole life and you never knew you could dunk. Right. And then you saw somebody do it and you're like, wait a second, you can do that? Right. And so what I loved about it, which is what you said, is that in long form, you take one suggestion Mm -hmm. and then that inspires everything to come from inside you. So you're not responding to external stimuli. You are bringing your own life experiences into the work you're doing on stage. Okay. It just, to me, was a whole other level of interest and fun and enjoyment it was so interesting that's what literally I, I genuinely think that that's what made me aware that it could be done it was not as big of a revelation to me just because i think that that uh coming as you did from those eight years of uh-huh. doing it when you see someone doing what you think you're doing right and then at another yeah, level it was like or, i know what improv is right this is not what i know what it is what is this right you know uh but but they're calling it the same thing, which right. means that I too could do that. Right. I think it's sort of like genuinely, and this uh, it's going to sound like a little smoke blown, but um, the first time I saw Dana Gould do stand up was I was like, what is he doing? Because it was so personal uh-huh. and so filthy and, right. and very, very ha- hilarious. Uh-huh. It was both incredibly personal, smart filth. And hilarious, which right. I think I was like, oh, that can be done. And uh, and he didn't it, it didn't feel like he cared that it was that filthy. Right. It was like the thing of those three beats that he found. There was most- a reason it was that filthy. Right. It, yeah. I feel like that's where people who do improv fall down. I have no problem. I mean, I'm, I'm a very uptight Irish Catholic, as we already <laughs> discussed. Uh, but. So I don't like to talk about those things in real life, and that's not my go-to material. Right. But I have no problem going way down in the muck if it's what the scene calls for and being as dirty as possible. I think what happens in improv a lot is people go – again, what what we were talking about before is like frantic and panic is like – I just have to mention bodily function so I can get a laugh. People will laugh if I just say something dirty. Right. And it's completely unearned. So that was always my note when I was teaching classes was like, go blue, but only go blue if you've done the work to get there. Right, right. You know? Uh, Much like when I was taking uh, clarinet classes, lessons when I was eight (laughs) years old, uh, I liked Benny Goodman, and he got to hold it up right. And uh, Mr. Owie, uh, my, my clarinet teacher, said, when you can play is good. As Mr. As, like as uh, Benny Goodman, yeah, then yeah. you can hold it however you want. Until right. then, we're gonna learn uh, like this Picasso. This is the way we do it. Yeah. We're gonna learn how to draw right, and then you're gonna you do it, get to do whatever you want. Yeah. So it, yeah, that sort of personal space that 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 personal experience because that makes that makes all theater more interesting anywhere, all performances more interesting, and really fascinating in the case of improv because it is happening in the moment. Right. Right. And I also feel like, and I this is a little scary to me sometimes, so I try not to think about it. You know, when I'm doing shows, I am uh, being characters or, you know, reacting to what somebody else is saying and whatever. 
but I also am bringing my own experiences and my own attitudes and my own and I feel like I feel like if you watched a good improviser, which I consider myself a good improviser. Sure. If you watch yeah. a good improviser do five shows, you know everything about that person. <laughs> like they're bearing their soul if they're really good. Well, and that's I mean, I I agree. I agree, I agree in the fact that if you're watching good performance of 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 several different kinds. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be I remember I saw Moulin Rouge, the movie, and Nicole Kidman, and I had not seen her a lot before, or she, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm sometimes inattentive. Uh, not, not a huge surprise to Rangers of the Dark Forest, well played. <laughs> but um, I remember watching it, and I was watching her act, Nicole Kidman and Moulin Rouge, and I said, I bet she is kind of like that, just kind of an opportunist but who's a decent person inside. You just uh-huh. have to get to it. And I was like, is she acting or is she finding that part of her in her to perform that part? Right. You know, and it's a weird analogy just because it's such an old movie. And, but I, I saw the movie and I had just started dating a girl and mm-hmm. we, she was like, let's go see this movie. And I don't, I did not enjoy the movie. I don't really remember it. Yeah. Because I was like, can't we just go home and fuck? Now, that was blue. Did I earn that or not? <laughs> or was that just you riffing? Was it off me? Of something just real? panic fire. I got to get a laugh gotta off get the a fuck. Laugh. Just throw you some know? shit at the wall. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it does, it is cool. Um, this is the other thing, though, is are there fakers? Are you watching anybody fake improv? Is it almost impossible to do? Uh, no, I don't think it's impossible. I think there are people who are. I think the way I approach it is a very it's a very writerly skill. So it's it's. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is there are some people who are just like showmen, and right. so. They're just going to go out and be as big and loud and wild and weird as possible. Mm -hmm. And it works for them because of who they are. Right. So it's actually coming from them. Yeah. So I guess that's not faking it, but it's also not like they'll do the same things over and over again as opposed to because they know it works as opposed to really being in the moment and reacting to what's going on in the scene. Is that what you love about it? Is that is that? Do you spend are you good at that off stage being in the moment? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> right. I mean No, I, I always say to people, to me, the thing I love about improv and I and I I think I said this to you in the email that I sent you, but it's like improv is a it is the very definition of a hobby. You will never make money as an improviser <laughs> and certainly never make a living, but I've been doing it nonstop for over 30 years now. Right. And what I love about it is that it is the one time and the one place that I can shut my crazy brain off okay. and just be. It's like a meditation for me. It's like almost a Zen. I don't even know what Zen is. So I don't know why right. I say that, but it's like, I don't. I'm not it's questioning myself. Ver- I'm not, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. The pop culture version. Version of, of Zen. And but it and and I swear to God, I could I could see that in uh-huh. in your performance. And when I see someone who is very much in that because my stand-up is a little manic. And um but there's underneath it is this. I'm like, I have these jokes. I have to try these 17 lines, right? Right. So stand-up is different in that way to yeah. me where it's more – when I do stand-up, I'm and I would love to move further towards being in the moment as a stand-up. Yeah. But I'm always like, oh, I have these two new things I want to try. It's like I have two different brains going on at the same time. Right. Well, I think that there's – it's almost like different kinds of – Medi- this is getting very meta, but it, it feels like different kinds of meditation, right? There's the meditation where you are in the moment and you have shut off the other part of your brain uh-huh. and you're just feeling. Right. And you're feeling and you're expressing that feeling. In stand-up, the z- it's the zen of, mm, just, uh, this is a bad analogy maybe, but a white noise where I am so 
in one of those sensory deprivation tents working on the bit uh-huh. that the audience, I see them. Right. I feel the laughter. I feel the responses on, on like a molecular level. That one guy is not really paying attention. Oh, God, that guy. That fucking dude, man. <laughs> anyway, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, but the, um, and there was, uh, yeah, there's, and, and I'm doing some racial stuff right now. And so I'm like, look, there's a person of color. There's a person of color. Right, right. Make sure I'm not staring at the one person of color too much. Right. So that they don't think that they are obligated to laugh more mm-hmm. or anything. Because uh, to some extent, I'm trying to, the part of this bit is me schooling white people to fucking not do the thing that I'm trying not to do right now. And so <laughs> like, there's this whole project, yeah. in my, but I'm in the middle of it, which feels like meditation too. Where the rest of the world is busy and I'm and I'm juggling, but I'm ju- juggling like an actual juggler who can juggle a bunch of things at one time. I could do three, but that's it. I can't do any. Uh, just I, I can barely catch. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love I love the 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 side of it. So, you did eight years of short form, right? On the road, on the road with a troop. Yes. Were they corporates? Were they? Schools? Well, we, there were some were of them. Were, some of them were corporate. A lot of them were colleges. Okay. Uh, a lot of them, honestly, were JCCs all over the country. Sure. The Jews super. love their short form improv, <laughs> and they're super supportive. Yes. Well, they love clever wit. Right. And uh, <laughs> so good for there them. There was a uh, there was a uh, short form we did where an act uh, an improviser would leave the room, and uh-huh. you had to get a suggestion. Mm-hmm from the audience of a phrase and then the person had to come back into the room and guess the phrase right based on clues provided by the other improvisers it was called torture the actor so Ah. and i remember once we were doing a jcc out in the midwest somewhere and the phrase that somebody gave us of course Uh was gay cock often yawn which is Yiddish mm-hmm. and means go shit in the ocean. <laughs> and first of all, that is awesome that you can recall <laughs> all of those things. Go. <laughs> but so the person came back in and it was just this thing where these these Jewish people in the Midwest mm-hmm. could not believe that somebody was able to guess that they had said gay. Now, there was never a doubt in our minds <laughs> that somebody cock. was going to that somebody was going to get the phrase. Like it, it just always they always got the phrase. Oh, did there they was, always get the phrase? Always, always, always because you would just keep going until they got the phrase. Oh. <laughs> uh, sometimes it was 4 or 5 hours. Oh. <laughs> Which is why they shoot that yeah. uh, show with proops forever. Right, right. And uh, uh, but they were just to them for these It was like magic. Northeastern uh, you know, I, I forget even who it was, but it was somebody who was not Jewish, and mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh my God, that guy got gay cock off and yawn," and it was often the yawn. funniest thing they had ever seen. Because and did it? I mean, the thing is, is how are you supposed? I'm probably to do saying that? that completely wrong, by the way. Uh, but the thing is, is we talk about going blue and 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 being dirty. If it's got gay cock in it. You have all of a sudden yeah, performing you gotta, uh, you gotta that. Do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're like you got to give that clue. We didn't come up with the term. Right, you did. Here we go. And and, and the audience is always on board for that. Right. With those with those things. You well, know? I'm sure that whoever suggested it was just like, get it. I'm yeah, gonna. Right. Look, I'm a genius. Well, that's that's one of the things I always hated about short form was right. the people who were. Who were so proud of their Suge- suggestions, mm-hmm. you know? Like I, one of the first times I ever performed, uh, I, my, I don't know what, you know. You look back and you're like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" <laughs> but I had like friends and family in the audience, ah, and one of my friends who had been a, one of my roommates in college, mm-hmm. uh. What had been a student at the high school my father was the principal of. So my father knew this guy. Right. I had lived with him. He came to the show. and Your father was also there? My father was also there. What a shit show. Somebody <laughs> said, well, it, literally a shit show because somebody, you know, we said, can we get a, can we get a suggestion of a profession? And this guy was like, proctologist. Like that was the uh. funny 
suggestion. How and many times have you gotten that suggestion? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. How many stars are in the sky? How many uh, I mean, grains happens, of sand? It happens in it happens in long form, but you only have to get one suggestion. Like I can remember a show I did with the improv group I I was eventually placed in in New York, and that I've been working with now for twenty years. Who places you? What is happening? Well, what is the? What is I don't the... know what the program is like yeah. now. There's like there's like a committee involved in deciding who gets to be on which team, and then they sort of evaluate the team after six months and whatever. But when I was coming up, it was a much smaller program. It was not the the huge industrial complex. The improv right. industrial complex had not started yet. <laughs> right, um, right. It was still the mom and pop improv show. <laughs> right. Uh, but basically what happened was Amy Poehler said, I want to direct a show. You two guys, and it was two guys that I know, mm-hmm. I want you two guys to be in the show. You each get to pick a couple of people okay. to be on this team. Okay. What I didn't learn until many years later is that these two guys picked, you know, one of them picked these two people, the other one picked these two people, Amy put somebody else on the team, and then they were like, "We need." Amy was like, we need one more strong player and that right. was how I got on the team so I was the last I was the one still on the fence when oh, they you, said you were picked last I but was you're picked like, last yeah. the thing is, is in, in that situation though you're just like I'll be picked last yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I can remember doing a show with them once because uh, we did a show at uh, Friday nights at 10 o'clock for five years in New York and it was just one of the greatest artistic experiences of my life I just That's loved so cool. every moment of it but one night we were starting a show and I said, can we have a suggestion? And a row of people stood up and shouted, Dildo Factory. Oh, my God. Because they had, you know, been out to dinner on Friday <laughs> night and decided, let's fuck with these people. Right, we had a bottle of wine. We're doing this. And so the first scene began with somebody very carefully painting veins on a... <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, I mean, and that's, I think, the response where you're just like, watch me turn this that's exactly into what waiting it was. for good dough. Yeah, you that's fucking exactly piece what of it shit. was. Like, and that's, again, that's what I love about long form is right. that it comes from us. It's mm-hmm. not a, like, it could be anything. It could be Dildo Factory, and yeah. we're still going to make it into an artful exploration <laughs> right? of, of real human relationships, <laughs> you know? <laughs> We're not going to be like, this is why dildo factories are funny. Right. That, I mean, and that's the whole thing is that at no time when I was also watching you and Matt, um, did I think that you had any doubt that it would be funny Mm -hmm. and that you were literally going for the interesting that you knew the funny would, would then come from it. Well, to, to go back to, to go back to my favorite topic, dildo factory, (laughs) like, Immediately in that scene, this guy's painting a vein on a dildo, and you're like, oh, this is not a scene about how funny it is to be a dildo factory. This is about a guy who takes pride in the detail of his work. That's what this scene is about, you know? Do you know, why doesn't Jim Wooster... I have a friend, uh, one of my very best friends from Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. stand-up comic, hasn't been done stand-up in probably... Uh, a hand like a handful of years he's always been a writer right and he writes uh short uh short fiction and he writes uh uh, plays and scripts but when he did stand up some of his his premises were that i mean he literally was talking about the desperation of a factory worker at one Mm -hmm. point the the hilarity in this stand-up bit was about a guy he was like who do you feel His more stand up by the way led directly to the current presidential administration <laughs> exactly it was the it was a it was the all i remember about this bit was it about a man who knew exactly how to make tar waffles and he had a waffle I don't even know iron. what that is right it was it was a waffle iron uh-huh. and it was a man who would take a ladle and dip in and pour the exact right amount into the tar waffle to create a tar waffle and he was like the guy, the new guy who comes in is like, why are we fucking making tar waffles? And then, and yet the beauty of the guy who knew exactly how to do it, had been doing it for 30 years. Uh-huh. And it was this weird ass picture of, a, of humanity. Yeah. And 
that's Jim Wooster's stand-up act, which uh-huh. is why I think uh, he didn't work a lot. Because uh, <laughs> he also had this analogy. But he about, can make the fuck out of a tar waffle. He could make the fuck out of a out of a tar waffle. He had this analogy about the end of the world that ended with a post-it note of in the, it, like a tumbleweed in the in the <laughs> desert that just said "Call Steve," and that's why the Armageddon happened. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit. Anyway, but um, but it's there's so much. I mean, five years of doing a show at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, you must have seen so many sort of amazing moments. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, now it all blurs together and I don't remember any of them. And it's so, it's in the moment. Like these are not things that you ever repeat, right? Right. And that's, that is a thing that to me got to be very frustrating after I had been doing ASCAT here in Los Angeles for a couple years, when I was, you know, I had I had had my first sitcom writing job, I had like done little parts that I call weird guy on different sitcoms, you know, <laughs> sure, you just have one guy who dips in for one line at the end of a scene just You're to right. give you the blackout, like right. I'll go home with you. I had done like a bunch of those. Uh, but so flattering casting yeah. casting there's nothing more but, flattering. but I but I was like I'm doing these amazing shows every week and nobody cares and I started to call it throwing diamonds in the ocean yeah. like we have these amazing things and we're throwing them away and eventually what I realized is that that's the beauty of it is that it is a thing that exists in that moment for that audience and will never be seen again and you can't even I mean, it's always funny when people try to explain what they saw in an improv show <laughs> because there's no way to follow it. You're like, I don't understand right. what the connection is between these things. If you're there, right. you get it. Yeah. But if you're not there, it happens so quickly and so non-sequentially right. that it's impossible to explain to somebody what was funny about it. Here's, here's um, does it happen and is it common or is it does it not happen that – you can write a script or a story or a play from something that came from an improv. I don't. Have you seen it? I don't find myself doing that. I think yeah. people do do that. In fact, I think that's how Second City develops a lot of their sketch shows. Is okay. They take ideas and they sort of improvise them on stage and eventually start to set them. For, <laughs> for me, what I find is more that... I'll have an idea of something I want to write and then the inf- the improv will help inform that writing process. Okay. Know? Well, yeah, I suppose that, I mean, the muscle of coming up with things in the moment has got to help every writing thing that you've ever it's done. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like sitting down at a, at a <laughs> Smith, Cor- Smith Corona, <laughs> okay. Selectric typewriter. <laughs> um, Do you have one of those ribbons that has the whiteout? <laughs> right. That's great. Uh, but like sitting down in front of a screen is a completely different thing from really reacting in the moment. So yeah. I will do that and I'll write a bunch of stuff and then I'll try to go through and read it out loud and honestly react in each moment to each thing and see if I can come up with more interesting stuff or interesting jokes or whatever. Um, and it, it, and it, that to me is where the improv really helps me. That's interesting only because – I whenever I have to write something, I always read it out loud, just because, uh, in my opinion, uh, whether you're writing nonfiction or like an article, uh, you can hear. I'm not particularly good at grammar and punctuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grammar's okay. The punctuation is hard. Um, I tend to use commas as breath marks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but the. Um, but by the I, way, I will tell you that nobody is good at grammar and punctuation. Oh, really? I am. Right. <laughs> so it drives me fucking crazy. Right. The handful of people that I know who are, mm-hmm. are, um, I literally have paid them. Right, to, right, right. Could you just take it? But like I, so I was the head writer for this show on Adult Swim for years. Which and, one? Uh, it's called Mr. Pickles. And you're wearing a Pickles crew. I am. I'm wearing <laughs> right. Mr. Pickles uh, sweatshirt. But, uh, you know, I would get scripts from writers and whatever. And I would just be like, fuck is this person thinking? This <laughs> right. is an educated person. Didn't and you they go to did... Purdue? What yeah, just exactly. happened? 
yeah. but it's so it it does it so doesn't matter. But it's just like that's how my brain. That's is, how your brain goes. You know? But that's why I read it out loud because I could hear, I could hear the problems in the phrasing. Mm-hmm. If any any time anytime I write anything, if I were to write a book. 400 page book I would uh-huh. have to freaking read it out loud because it would drive me bananas right to not know how it sounds and um, I mean writing is after all just a representation of the spoken word right so it yes. makes sense that yeah it's easier to say it out loud and go oh that doesn't work let me change that right but I think it's interesting that you use it also as a writing tool because I just, uh, I'll come up with, well, that sentence doesn't work. And then I'll just usually oh, put see. a bracket yeah, yeah. on it and like fix that later. But you in the moment are got a blank piece of paper and you're writing down notes of what, what you're riffing off of right. your own writing, which I think is fascinating. Uh, good work. What? Thank you. Um, that's, why, that's why I have such a huge career. By the career. way, we haven't mentioned the fact that you have a new podcast. That's true. That uh, I'm talking to Sean Conroy, by the way, and it's S-E-A-N-C-O-N-R-O-W. R-O-W. What just happened there? Sean R-O-Y. Cornrow. I used, <laughs> I, I used to teach junior high school, and that was an insult the kids would use on me sometimes, was they would call me Mr. Cornrow. You know Mr. Cornrow. Cornrow. Mr. Cornrow. Uh, and I would thanks. be like, oh, come Conroy. on. Come on, You guys. can do better than that. Keep writing. And uh, so it's called Get Happier? Sean Conroy Gets Happier. Sean Conroy. It's not gets about happier. you getting happier. Oh, it's about me getting happier. Yeah, yeah. Tune in. And hopefully it bleeds me over. getting happier will benefit you in some way. <laughs> right. And it's uh are there any episodes? And by the way, it's not get happy, gets happy. Oh. It's happy. gets happier. Interesting. Even an incremental change can make a difference. Right. And you had the long shot for a long time. Yes, we did the long shot for ten years. Right. And so uh People uh, and I've been on it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So you guys, if um, you remember that, you should listen to Sean Conroy's. Yeah. Sean Conroy gets happier. Yes. And are there any episodes out, or is it all just going to start it, dropping? It's going to start. I hope and I think March second. March second. Okay. The, is when the first this episode comes out and the March tenth. Oh, okay. So yeah, so, there should be episodes around. Uh, around. Around already. Excellent. Yeah. Look into it. You know what to do. You're all podcast listeners. Yes. And um, yeah, so uh, I had a question. Could have been yeah. anything. Um, what? Here we go. So there's, there's, what's the scene like here in Los Angeles? How about that? In what do you terms love? of? Improv. Is it, because you are still working with the UCB. Yeah. Um, I still do ask hat every Saturday and Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Huh. Um, which is a lot. And, and it just, sometimes I'm like, why, why am I still doing these shows two nights a week? Uh, right. it also, because I do do stand up as well, although that's debatable at this point too. <laughs> Because uh-huh. there's not enough time in the day. Yeah, and also, you... and also because because I was writing on this show for so long. Yeah, I would just be exhausted at the end of the day and not. Right. You have full like a whole life. Out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. I saw Lori Kilmartin on an airplane a couple years ago. Right. And I was just in the middle of like, you know, the show was stressing me out. I was I was fighting with the creators of the show and fighting with the network and fighting with the production company and was so exhausted all the right, time right. from all that that I was not doing stand-up and Lori as you as you know better than I do is out <laughs> doing stand-up all the time despite her full-time job and her motherhood and all that stuff mm-hmm. and I said Lori how are you able to do this she was right. flying to New York on a Friday night to do a comedy festival in New York fly back on Sunday night right. and go back to work at Conan on Monday morning right and I was like, how do you do this? And she said, and it really rang true to me, although I have not acted on it yet. I'm still hoping to. She was like, stand-up is the only thing I do where I feel like I have total control over everything. Yep. Like I can write a billion jokes in the morning. Maybe one or two of them get on the show that night. Yep. Uh, but when I do stand-up, I can do whatever I want. You right. Know? Right. Um, she has expressed that to me too. It's such a it's such a great it really sums up what she gets out of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think you get that out of doing those two improv shows. Yes and no. No? Because yeah. one of the things you have to deal with when you're doing improv 
is the other people you're improvising with. <laughs> that is right. It is not a solo activity. And I don't get to decide who I'm improvising with. Oh, you because don't? Because I'm doing this UCB Cat show. Right. But don't you, is it you and Matt every time? No. Matt is rarely there at this so point. So it's rotating. It's a rotating crew. And I don't know until the afternoon who's going to be there for the show that night. Interesting. And... There's just some people I like working with more than other people. You well, know? yeah, some, there's just a – you click better and it, it right. just it ends up being – And I'm sure there are many people who feel the same way about me. Well, They're there's like, nothing oh, to be done. Oh, shit. Look who's on the roster. <laughs> My favorite thing is when I'm like, oh, that guy doesn't like me. And then you find out they weren't thinking about you at all. Right. And you're like, oh. Which is 99% of the time. 99% of the time. And you're like, well, that's also disappointing for yeah. some weird reason. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not important? I'm not important enough for you to even to hate uh-huh. interesting and uh but the but i think yeah i think that because i and i've said this before is that what you put your attention on right is the thing you really want to do right and like i would love to act and i say that but do i act everyone i know who loves to act mm-hmm. freaking acts right. like they're in community things they they start their own youtube channel right they do sketch they write and they perform um, some sort of acting. They act all the time right. because they fucking love acting. I will go to an open mic because I need to do stand up comedy. Yeah, and um, it's the and and I think you need to do improv. To I do, mm-hmm. but I literally had a meeting with somebody about this yesterday. I mean, a meeting. We sat and had coffee and <laughs> talked for two hours. We get to in call LA. We call now. that a meeting. We get yeah, to call. Yeah. We get to get breakfast. But <laughs> I, we meeting. were talking about stand up and about how. I mean, I'm frustrated with myself that I have not been doing it. Right. And I want to. I still really, really want to. And do I. Do you live on this side of the hill, or do you live over? I there? live in Hollywood. Okay. And I and I, I achieved a certain level of success. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever really gotten as good at stand-up as I could have gotten if I had really Mm -hmm. committed to it. There's a Um, Wednesday and a Saturday open mic that I would recommend. Okay. Uh, Dan Telfer? Uh, I know who Dan is. I don't know that I... And Talux. It's on this side? Yeah, it's at at essentially... It's a a board game uh, store. So it's the... It is a very much a version of Nerd Melt, except for that... It's called Geeky Teas, mm-hmm. T-E-A-S, like because uh, they used to serve tea, and then they found out that you actually need a food license. <laughs> so now they just sell tea, <laughs> uh-huh. and they have a cooler with some sodas in it. And uh, but the um, Geeky Teas has a, a theater space, and then they also do Cat Rescue. So it's literally you know how Nerd Melt was a comic book store, um, which is dorky enough, but it was also super cool. Uh-huh. Geeky Teas. Not super cool. Holy Great. smokes. They're a bunch of board game nerds with some cats. Uh-huh. And then they have a theater in the back, which has an open mic on, um, I think, every Wednesday and Saturday. But they also have book shows there. And um, I'm on it. No, because this fun. is the plan I came up with yesterday yeah. is I was like, I want to, starting in March, mm-hmm. March 2nd, I want to do... 60 shows in 60 days and see okay. how I feel after that. Interesting. Because it's... It, it, you might get happier. I might get happier. Right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The prediction is, Swami predicts, hundred percent happier. Yes. Uh, From hundred percent of seven, of course. But it's like, I want to figure out if this is what I really want to do. Like, I I, I, I went on tour a couple years ago, just a self-booked thing for yeah. two months. Oh, to do some the, stand-up? Yeah. All over the country. I did, I think I drove like 12,000 miles or something. Wow. And... I fucking loved it. I had such a good time Mm -hmm. just going from town to town and doing stand-up. And not even like clubs or anything, like a local improv theater or, you know, a local alternative night even at some places. Right. The local – the thing is, is that is the joy of it. To do the clubs is a job where – Half the, literally three quarters of the damn job is getting the gig, yeah, and then showing up and, but these it's a it's like with Kinane and Doug Stanhope uh-huh. and, you know you'll back um, before Doug Stanhope I can't even think of anybody but it was just I'm gonna 
Clubs aren't booking Abbott me. and Costello. Abbott and Costello, vaudeville, right. everything. And Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. He used to book his own coffee shops back in the late 1800s. And so, um, but there's no money in it, right? Like you can't yeah, yeah. really no, make a living. Yeah, no, it was unsustainable. Living. I mean, yeah. I, I think I broke even. I was always That's amazed actually- at these little, like... Like I remember doing like a brewing company in in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. in front of you know eighty or a hundred people, and at the end of the night, the guy gave me a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and I was not the only person he paid, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Outside of New York and L.A., mm-hmm. you actually do get paid for these tiny little shows, right? 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 Uh, but that said, a hundred bucks is not going to do it. Anymore. No, I had yeah. to pay for the hotel. I had to pay for gas. Yep. I did stay with a lot of long shot podcast listeners along the way, oh, which fun. was always fun. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a... Although all of them had dogs and I am allergic, so that was a problem. But, you know. Uh, that's good that you're not allergic to cats since I'm sending you to Geeky Tees. No, so, I'm not. I have no problem with cats. That's amazing. So, what, um, so you're doing improv twice a week. What have you seen in the last um, 30 years about changes and about? quality and like are you blown away sometimes by, by the by, by the noobs no no i'm not uh but part of that is because i don't go see them okay you know um i think that i mean this is what happens when you get old is you go it's not as good as it was when i started <laughs> but i think part of that is because i have seen so much and seen everything at this point Okay. That it's very hard to be impressed by anything. Right. Whereas people who are young are seeing everything for the first time and they're like, holy shit, that was amazing. Right. Now, all of this said. Yes. I, for the first time in over 20 years, Mm -hmm. am taking an improv class right now. Interesting. Yes. Uh, Which is super weird. Because everybody in the class knows, yeah, and also they all know who I am, and they know what I do, and what I've done, and whatever. And I try not to impose on them in any way or whatever. But the class is a musical improv class. I've always been a big fan of musical theater. Okay. And back in the day when I was working with this short form group, one of the things we did was we would improvise musical stuff. Okay. And so, and it was so much fun. I loved it. You're like, I want to take this class. Yeah. Is it through the UCB or? Okay. It is. Um, and so it's like, I think yesterday was our fifth class. Of how many? Of six. Okay. And we have three shows. We've done one so far. We have two more shows to go. Yeah. And it's funny because the show is at the same theater I do this other show at yeah. all the time. And so I was there last week and did the the silly little class show. Yeah. Uh, and all the people in the lobby who were the people there for the other show I do mm-hmm. were just kind of staring at me. Like, none of them knew what I was doing there. They right. were like, you're early for the show. And I'm like, no, I'm actually in this show. Right. And they were like, the class show? <laughs> yes, I'm taking the class. Yeah, yeah I'm trying you know? to grow as a person. Yes. It's okay. You know that Maria's taken a lot of improv classes. I did know that because I saw her in the cafe there one time. Yeah, the... the, the um Marie Bamford will take an intro. She took a stand-up class, too, from Judith Shelton. Oh, really? And um, she likes to take the classes because she finds that they, sometimes the per- perspective can get uh, changed. Yeah. And and she doesn't see a lot of stand-up comedy, and she likes to see what the... Um, the noobs. The noobs are doing. And she's like, well, I can be... She's very inspirational in her inclusiveness and her willingness to be be entertained. I say this much more to credit Maria than to credit myself, although I also feel like I am a little bit this. Yeah. To me, that shows... I mean, Maria's like one of the best stand-ups I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It just shows such a level of humility and lack of ego to go... That willingness I still have more to learn. Yes. You know? Yes, it's just um, I, there's so many comics, and I don't know if this happens in improv that sort of sit on their laurels and don't grow. Or change. I, I feel like so when UCB came to town, which was nineteen, I think nineteen ninety six. Okay, 
I was still with this other company and there were a lot of really talented people in this short form company right. who came to see UCB and, you know, they were like, oh, this is different from whatever, but I'm not taking a fucking class. I don't take classes. Right. And those people are no longer doing it. You right. Know? Right. And I was like, I love this. I want to do what those guys are doing. I want to do this ASCAT show. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people I was seeing in ASCAT at that time were the UCB, <laughs> Adam McKay, right. uh, uh, Steve, um, Stephen Colbert. Wow. Tina Fey. You know what I mean? Like Jesus. Yeah. It was like Jesus. It was just like the Pope was there. It was right. weird. Uh, and... although Jesus goes blue like that. <laughs> um, yeah. But but so I was like, Yeah, of course I'm gonna take class. Yeah, I've been doing it for eight years. I don't care. This is right. what I wanna do. So here now I've been doing ASCAT for 20-something years. Yes. You know? And um, you have to be willing to be open to, right. to, to these things, especially if something new is coming in and you want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You have to essentially reinvent the wheel or reintroduce yourself. And if you're good at what the other thing that you do, you may be able to advance quicker, but you have to start at the bottom, unfortunately. Right. Like when I and, I and I tell comics who moved to Los Angeles this, they're all like, well, I'm not going to open mics. And I was like, okay, first of all, Hot Tub isn't an open mic. And they're like, yeah, but that doesn't pay. And I was like, Hot Tub actually pays $20. Yeah. Anyway, so, but the th- I mean, they're like, they don't want to start over. And I was like, well, no one knows that you're a big fucking deal in Indianapolis. It was something I had no idea about when I moved here from New York. I thought I was doing very well in my career. I had yes. just, you know, I had just been on Conan. I had been on Comedy Central. Yep. None of that meant shit. None of it means anything. There's this town, Los Angeles itself is full of so many talented people Mm -hmm. that will never be famous or even never be successful. They will they will be successful in other things. They will invent dog psychicry, right? And then all of a sudden they will own a house in Malibu because they are like they're selling uh, the the tin pans for the gold mine, right? Mm -hmm. They're selling the equipment. But they wanted to be, and they're like, I one time did a, a, a corporate downtown at a club at Christmas that you were not allowed to use your cell phone in the lobby. Anyway, uh, it was all very weird. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the people that I was performing for, they made nuts and bolts. They literally were people who made nuts and they bolts. They were very nuts and bolts. They were nuts and bolts people. Uh, but it was Christmas, and there was a quartet acapella quartet in the foyer who were singing Christmas carols dressed mm-hmm. in Victorian uh, outfits. And they were amazing. Christmas is all about Victorian. It's, you know. For some reason, uh, when when London was unbreathable, yeah. huge deal for mm-hmm. uh, the Dickens people. Right after the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, But the singers were so amazing that I was like, who are you? Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're singers. And we we work one month a year. <laughs> we work one month a year. And then the rest of it, we're just in the background yeah, over at the Pantages. Right. And uh, so, but there's so much talent here that yeah. you literally have to admit that you're starting over to some extent. I, 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 it took me, it took me several years of living here to, to get come less. to that realization of like, no, nobody gives a shit who you are. It's okay. You know? And it's okay. Yeah. Just be as talented as you are and live in hope. Don't you get that I was on fucking Conan? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I do. Now, and you know who doesn't even know that I was on Conan? Conan doesn't even know. <laughs> Conan has know? no memory of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's did you read Tina Fey's book? No. Uh, Bossy, Bossy Pants. Pants? No. Cuz there's a great line about stand up uh-huh. uh, about improv in there where she said improv people say that improv is like a cult. And she said, "Fine. What has your cult done for you?" She's like, I'll tell you what it did for me. It gave me the best friends I've ever had. Uh-huh. I met my husband there. Yeah. It gave me a sense of self-esteem. It gave me a reason to live in some cases. Uh-huh. And uh, it was such a beautiful like paragraph of, of just, she's like, okay, it's a cult. Yeah. It, uh, but I'm not hurting anybody. And I got a, I got a family out of it. Right. You know, it's, Do you feel that kind of to some extent? I mean... Yeah, the people that I am that I have been closest to as an adult are certainly the people that I have improvised with. Yeah. Um, it, to me, improv is a little weird only because it's like it's like you're you're in college, but it just goes on forever. 
you know. Yes. Sometimes when I go to a college town, I think, God, I, sh- I want to go back to college because I want to <laughs> sit in a coffee shop and talk about the big issues. Right. And then I remember that I do stand up and I'm like, no, no, that's what I do. I go to a coffee shop and talk about, well, nobody talks shit. back, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I think that, because I know in stand up right now that there is. There's an amazing upswell of of talent that I'm that I think that you might be missing by not seeing a lot of the yeah. new improvers, because what I what I initially noticed was about fifteen or sixteen years ago in stand up that there was all of the new youth uh, was uh, really good looking, and I was like because when I started doing stand up it was only the insane and the unattractive yeah and uh, it turns out because of psych meds uh, all of these children. Uh, were nuts, but they also had really good dental. Uh, so they are some of the best-looking crazy people I've ever met in my life. And so there was this influx of relatively good-looking, very, very interesting stand-up comics that started out in like 2000 and 2004. Right. Um, and they're, you know, sort of, um, I guess I would go, who am I thinking? I'm thinking of like... Uh, Canane, you know, and um, so good looking that Canane. What a handsome gent. Zach Galifianakis. That guy shaves his. I remember when he first grew that beard. Uh, I was like, "What are you doing? Uh-huh. You're hiding the good looks." And he's like, "The good looks are distracting. I, <laughs> I hate them." He actually said that to me one night, uh-huh. and because I inappropriately said that he was better looking without the beard, and uh, and he uh, didn't care because it's his face, <laughs> and uh, but the. Uh, but it was, you know, it was like Zach Galifianakis and this type of thing, um, who's probably 15 years younger than I am or 10 years younger than I am. Uh, but the, but uh, so I, would I, say, I would say less. But you think less? We can figure uh, that out Who later. knows? Yeah, yeah. But let there be some math, you yeah, guys. Yeah. And, uh, but he, um, but I, I do love watching, I hate watching shitty stand-up comedy, but I do like, I, I don't mind, like you, I could get bitter about Jenna Friedman, right? I don't know if you know her. I do. Yeah. She is an amazingly fearless, incredibly smart stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that she does politically and just weird, like some of the weird stuff, yeah, yeah. is a joy for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And But I could be bitter about it because I'm like, no, I'm super smart too, but I'm not, I don't, turns out I'm not 28 right. years old and... A, th- a thin blonde lady, but uh, but it's it's not. She is the same age as Zach Galifianakis. Weirdly enough, they're all in their early sixties, you guys. So uh, the but I think that um, it's just to bitterness though, and yeah. and and to appreciating the next generation. Well, here's here's my thing about improv is just the feeling I have from being around the theater and seeing people, and even some of the people I've performed with and whatever who are much, much younger than I am at this point. Uh, When I started, it was because this was a thing I wanted to do. And I feel like with a lot of people now, it's like, this is a thing I want to use to get something else. Right. Which is a different approach. That is a different approach. And when I started at UCB... Yep. Uh... It was all, it was like the island of misfit toys. It was like just everybody <laughs> yes. was a was a train with square wheels. <laughs> right, you know? slightly broken. And now that's not the case at all. Now, like you said, a lot of them are good looking. They're actors. They're whatever. Yep. It doesn't mean they're not good improvisers. But it is a means to an end. It's right, they're to trying get to get in front of yes. casting directors right. and, and and these people. And that was just not the thing when I was doing it. Right, and there was there was a there was a, and that it still happens in stand up, right, where people do stand up to get in front of uh, right. managers and casting agents and stuff like that. But they also, um, and and those people I think will always be there. But there are the people who fall in love with it. Right. You know, who you're like, oh, this is something I'm doing for something. And then all of a sudden, that is what they are. Right. And that, I love meeting somebody who thinks that they're doing it because it's a, a shrewd business decision, which you always wonder, why are you doing, you're doing stand-up as a shrewd, don't, that's a terrible choice. Yeah. And then they fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, 
The first one's free, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's a potato knish that uh, that's not welcome back, Cotter <laughs> reference. Hey, uh, Sean Conroy, it's been an hour. Mm. I'm sorry about that. Because <laughs> uh, it just goes by. Yeah. Got to have you, uh, gotta have you back. This reminds me of when I was in jail. It was like, you know, <laughs> it was over so quickly. It's so quickly. <laughs> you guys, Rangers, uh, we've been talking with uh, Sean Conroy. It's S-E-A-N-C-O-N-R-O-Y. Not W. Not W. And you have a new podcast called Sean Conroy Gets Happier. Correct. And that will be available wherever you listen to casts, as you can imagine. Everywhere, yeah. Absolutely everywhere. It's on the All Things Comedy Network. And if you uh, tick that box, they'll forward it to YouTube. So if people uh, only can watch, can listen to a thing, because uh, The Dork Forest is available on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, super fun. And we have actually a new, we, we're going to have our own YouTube channel with this thing, too. The Sean, you know, YouTube.com backslash... Sean Conroy gets happy. Then that's where you should send those files. Because yes. uh, uh, then it'll all be in one place. Uh-huh. It'll be beautiful. So thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for having me. This was great. And everyone follow Sean. Or at least I enjoyed it. I shouldn't, <laughs> oh. I shouldn't make any value judgments on the quality of the show itself. <laughs> uh, but I Jackie, had a great time. Jackie at JackieCasia.com to let me know, you guys. Uh, <laughs> I had a really good time. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. Thank we you. Why don't we just call that as the end of the show?